0: Forest City Church, anyone and everyone. If you've been on this journey for a while, you know that one of the things I often talk about and I believe in is this phrase, absolutes, convictions, and preferences. I have very few absolutes. and It comes from 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says, matters of first importance, that Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended, he made himself like known to, to the early believers. Like if, you, if you're going like to fight me on one thing, that, that would be what I would hold to as absolutes. Matters of first importance to the language of St. Paul the Apostle. Underneath that is every single one of us has profound convictions. And convictions that mean something to us. And I'm not, I'm not invalidating those convictions. They are real. They are human. The majority of them are biblical. They are awesome. And then we all have preferences. And oftentimes what happens in the Western church is our convictions and our preferences become absolutes. And what we should hold as essential, the good news, the life, death, burial of Jesus Christ, the resurrection, all of that, what we should hold as good news often sometimes just becomes a conviction and sometimes even becomes a preference. And so what I want to do is today, um, I'm going to invite you, I'm not going to shock you, I don't like preaching that just tries to shock people. But I do believe that great teaching, when you open up the Word of God, it should invite you into the tension. Because it's in the tension that we grow. It's in the cognitive dissonance where we have to go, okay, 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 okay. And when you begin to understand the story of God, what we are about to walk through over the next coming weeks is something that made a lot of disciples, early followers, quite nervous. But before we dive in there, i got to take you back. In the Hebrew scriptures, the Tanakh, you would see that there were some essentials for what the church was to do, or the people of God to do. And, and it, was, it was to love the woman, the orphan, and the foreigner. It's to make space. If, if, you, had, if you had like a, a farm, you would leave like a, a portion of it so that those that were alone or vulnerable or struggling could come and the word was they could glean from the garden and have food to eat. And this was really, really essential for, for what the first Jewish nation had to do was to make space for the woman, the vulnerable, the orphan, the vulnerable, and the foreigner. The vulnerable. I think in our day, we have to ask ourselves, who's the woman, the orphan, and the foreigner in our context, in Elgin? This is, this is what the Hebrew nation had to do. But if you actually begin and are familiar with, with the kind of vision of what the Hebrew nation was supposed to be, you will see two. Two profound visions throughout the pages of the Hebrew Scriptures of the Old Testament. One was this, to be holy. To be set apart. You see this in Ezra or Nehemiah or Ezekiel. To be holy and do not let the outside world corrupt you. Be holy. And there was another one. The other one is that the the Jewish nation were to be a light unto the Gentiles. A light unto the world. And these two visions seemed both profound and yet completely at odds. Because how, if you were going to be holy and almost set apart from those people, and yet how were you to be a light when you're actually around those people? And so what ended up happening is you had rabbis who would take sides, you had leaders who would take sides, and then you had a temple, the second temple, King Herod's temple, was solely built and architected around this theology, that we are to be holy and set apart so set apart is that we actually have in the gates and the courts we have ways to separate people from other people so we had the priests because they got to be as close to the holy place because they were priests and then we had jewish men and then we had jewish women and kids and then we had gentiles and oftentimes, even in the, in the space where the Gentiles would be able to come, it was crowded with money changers and people selling stuff. So the Gentiles might travel from all over the world to come see the tourist attraction where Yahweh's presence dwells, but they couldn't get in. And this has infuriated Jesus. Why do I say all this? Because right now, in the book of Acts, If you go back to chapter 1, verse 8, you've heard us say this, this verse over and over again. But something is happening. And Jesus says, but you are going to receive power. This is where we get the word dynamite from. You are going to receive this dynamic power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the familiar place. In Judea, the people that we think are less than. In Samaria, the people we can't stand. And to the ends of the earth, the people we have no desire to understand. And this is the progression. And what we see, Acts 2, you see Pentecost, and all of a sudden, Jerusalem and Judea and people from all over are coming in. And then last week, if you were here, you learned an amazing message from Leonard where he talked about now this story is now moving to Samaria. And really, some scholars even call that almost this Samaria, Samaria Pentecost because the Spirit of God is actually there. And God is on the move and God is working. And right now, at the end of chapter 8, into chapter 9, into chapter 10, is now the swing from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now it is about getting to the ends. Of the earth. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts eight twenty-six. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you. Um, if you have a smartphone, you can go to BibleGateway.com. You can type in Acts chapter eight. We're going to be looking at a couple passages in the Old Testament, but I want you to hear this story that we get introduced. And in Luke, as a doctor, as a writer, I just, I'm blown away by this. And I, I, I can't remember um, a passage of Scripture that has wrecked me and stretched me, and pushed me, and had to live in the tension and the cognitive dissonance as much as what I'm about to share with you. Um, So let's dive in. Verse 28 says this, Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, Anytime you see the sense of the angel, it's almost validating what Philip is supposed to do. It's happened before. When the Spirit of God was at work, what ended up happening? You had Peter and John having to show up to validate that God actually was working in Samaria. And now, this angel is, is having Philip go to this road. Now, here's a map. And I want you to kind of see, in this map, if you look under Samaria, you will see kind of now, all of a sudden, Philip is going to make his way down. You see Jerusalem in the kind of underneath Judea. There's that desert road at the very bottom, and Gaza, which, if you're familiar with the news, you, you often hear in the news. And then underneath, there's an arrow that leads to Egypt and Ethiopia. To the Roman world, Ethiopia was where the map ended in the south, and it was known as literally the ends of the world. That's where they thought the, the world ended, was in Ethiopia. Now, continue on. It says this in verse 27. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So let's stop right there. What's amazing is is an Ethiopian man probably gets into a chariot and some scholars say multiple weeks. Some scholars say up to five months. But it's about a 2,000-mile journey from Ethiopia to the temple and he's going there to worship. He's Ethiopian. He's darker uh, complexion than the Jewish brothers there. He's a eunuch. I don't know if you're familiar what a eunuch is. But basically, I'll, I'll read you a passage from the, from the Torah, Deuteronomy 23. And this is, this is what was said of eunuchs. In Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, says this. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of God. So, so, so just think about this. This man has heard about the temple. And this man is willing and he's in charge of the queen's treasury. So he's a man of influence and he's a man of wealth, but he's a eunuch and he's a Gentile. And he's coming from the ends of the earth and he's coming to actually worship. But a eunuch can't enter into the temple grounds because he's without gender. He's known as a eunuch. And oftentimes what eunuchs would do is there was some sense of castration because there had to be a trust by some official that this person would not steal the king or this leader's harem. And this was the commitment that they were willing to do to sacrifice and harm themselves to have a role. And oftentimes they didn't have a choice. But the choice that they make now does not allow them to come into the temple. So just think about this. Ethiopian eunuch gets in a chariot. And he goes to worship. And he shows up to a temple that is profoundly architected in such a way. And now he begins to hear that he can't even enter in. Because he's a eunuch he has money and what we know in a moment we'll see, he, he buys a scroll from the book of Isaiah but all of this expectation I don't know if you can relate to this I don't even know how to even cognitively create a scenario that any of us could actually feel like we really really can understand it's like going into a restaurant that you really wanted to go to and then you can't get in it doesn't even compare I wanted to go on a trip, you can't go it doesn't even really compare This man wanted to worship and somehow was not able to enter. And if you're familiar, you can Google this. There were signs and they found them on the temple mount that if someone actually went into a court that they did not or were unable to prove that they should or could be there. In three different languages, it says, we will kill you. So the profound sense of fear... This longing of an Ethiopian eunuch, his gender, his race, his wealth, kind of has him in a unique spot. Let's keep going. It says this, Acts chapter 8. Continues on, says this, verse 28. And on his way home was sitting in his chariot, <clears throat> reading the book of Isaiah the prophet, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So like Philip's just walking because the angel of the Lord told him. And then then like he sees a chariot on the desert road. Now the desert road wasn't a well-trafficked road. It was too hot. What you would have traveled is the road near the coast, near the water, because you would have gotten a cool breeze would have felt so much better but he sees this chariot and the lord says the spirit says go next to it and so look what happens i love this then philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading isaiah the prophet and philip asked the question do you understand what you are reading philip said look what the man says how can i He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So think about this. This man has experienced profound levels of rejection. He has just traveled thinking and believing he can enter into the temple. And then he gets there and they're like, you're a eunuch. You can't come. And now he has someone on his way back on this long journey, who runs up to him and starts to ask him a question as he's reading. Look what it says. Verse 32. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Now, why would he get stuck on this verse? Why would he get stuck on this verse? If he's got this massive scroll of all of Isaiah, and he's just reading through it, reading through it, but all of a sudden he comes to this moment in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. I wonder if in the moment he felt humiliated at the temple. Who do you think you are? You're a eunuch. You can't come in here and get get back, get back. You're, 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 you are unholy. You're, you're, you're sick. You do not belong here. You're toxic. I don't know how anyone could ever do that. You do not belong. You get out of here. You are deprived of justice and of good news. Get away from us. And I don't know who the eunuch is to you today. But there are a group of people and groups of people in our world today that I often imagine or wonder if they actually could think that they could walk through the doors of a church. If people would see them and say, oh, man, come sit next to me. If people would see them and say, oh, man, I'm like, come sit at my table. Hey, come, come, share meal with me. Hey, come worship with me. Come pray with me. And maybe, maybe it's someone around race for you. Maybe it's someone around means or money. They have too much, they have too little. Maybe it's someone even around the conversation of sexuality. Ah. Do you understand right now? Acts and Luke is inviting all of us into the tension of What? Would you do if you were Philip? And Philip's hearing this. And he's so in tune to the Spirit. He's run up to this guy, a guy who had probably been pushed away and humiliated. And the eunuch asks Philip, Tell me. And I love the word, tell me, please. Who is the prophet talking about? Himself? Or someone else. And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture. And that comes from Isaiah 53. If you want to do some pre-work or, or post-work tomorrow or this week. And look what he does. He uses that scripture to tell them the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along, verse 36. Along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look. Here is water. And if I showed you that map on the desert road, there aren't much spaces where there's a ton of water. So it would have been wildly surprising. Look, 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 there's some water. And then he says this, what can stand in the way of my being baptized? I always read that as like a good Christian like, here's like the eunuch who's like, oh, I get the gospel. Let me go be baptized. But when you think about he wasn't able, Deuteronomy 23, 1, to walk into the assembly, when you actually understand he went to the temple and was denied access, he's asking an honest question. I know it's good, but is it too good to be true? What can prevent me a eunuch who's not one of you? Is there a barrier for me to get baptized? Before I answer that question, turn with me to Isaiah 56. And if you basically open up the the Old Testament, you're going to find Psalms or Isaiah. Those are the two biggest books. But Isaiah 56, page 598 if you have a small black Bible. It says this in verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For salvation is close at hand. And my righteousness will soon be revealed. Real quick. The first real mention of Ethiopia in the scriptures. If you're familiar with this. Is when the queen of Sheba comes to be with King Solomon. And she sees all that Solomon has. And what does she tell him? She says, wow, your God is good. He's faithful. May you maintain justice and keep his righteousness. And that's how Isaiah 56 begins. Continues, blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds its fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Verse three, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. Meaning, I can't produce fruit. I can't multiply. That's what a dry tree is. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and holds fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls. A memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to be His servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. Hear this, and it might sound familiar because Jesus used this verse. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house of prayer will be a house of prayer for all the nations. And imagine this. The Ethiopian eunuch who's wealthy has bought a scroll of Isaiah. And he's only at Isaiah 53. And if he would have just gotten three more chapters, he would have seen. The prophetic vision is that in the temple of the Lord, you're not going to be denied. If your heart is wanting to serve the Lord and to receive the grace and the reality of who he is and what he did, you are going to have the chance, a foreigner, are going to have the chance to get so, so close to the most holy place. Philip knows this. He understands this. He would have been a good Jewish boy. He would have learned this. He would have understood this. And then let's see this. A couple more verses and then we're done. We'll make some thoughts. Acts 8 goes back and it says this. Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. And Caesarea was one of the key cities for the Gentile ends of the earth conversation. What does Philip not say? What do you, what do you believe? Hey, did you, did you confess all this? What does Philip say? Okay, we got to figure out this whole eunuch thing. He's just like, there's some water. And all of a sudden, this guy gets baptized. Now, has anyone ever heard of the name Augustine? Augustine, okay? Cyprian, Tertullian. Those were church fathers, amazing scholars. And they're from Africa. Who profoundly shaped the theology and scholars believe that it was that Ethiopian eunuch who took the good news back to Africa that actually opened the door for generations and generations and generations to understand what the gospel was. And some of them were named Augustine, Tertullian, Cyprian of Carthage, Tertullian of Carthage, Augustine of Hippo, black leaders who maybe would have never known the gospel if Philip didn't actually run up to this chariot and get into that chariot, and then they're like, water, water, and actually shares the good news and baptizes him, and they end up having this moment where that man goes back and I think recognizes that this gospel will do anything to get closer closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and closer to the hearts of everyone always. And oftentimes institutions as they grow start to create barriers for entry. And this is what Acts 8 is having us wrestle with. Are we more temple people? There's only certain people who can come, and there's only certain people who can do, and there's only certain people who can experience, and there's only certain people who can volunteer, and there's only certain people. Da 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 da. Temple, temple, temple. Or are we spirit people? And what Philip? And Philip is an evangelist, and Philip probably doesn't care about what the disciples think. He's like the Lord told me, I'm going. And this thing is spreading, and you're going to get to the next chapter, and, and Jordan's going to do an amazing teach on this, but the next chapter is Saul saying, we got to stop the Spirit and the name of Jesus spreading. we got to get them all back to be temple people because there's an order to how these things ought to go. And the Spirit's like, yeah, yeah, you can't stop this. You can't even contain it. And it's even going to stretch the disciples when we get to Acts chapter 10. And we go to Cornelius' house with Peter, and you're going to see Peter's going, I don't get this. And most times when we teach about it, we're like, hey, let's just be honest, and let's go out there and get in somebody's chariot and tell them about the good news. Because they want to bypass all of the parts that are really, really tension-filled with this passage. And the one is this, who's the eunuch to you? Who's the Ethiopian to you? Who's the wealth or without wealth person to you? And is there any part of you that's so temple-oriented and institutional-driven that you're actually missing where the Spirit of God might be inviting you to take the good news? Because it's Jesus plus nothing, right? or it's the temple and everything. And Saul, who we know as Paul, is trying to push everyone to get back and be that. We are set apart. We are holy. We do not engage with any of those people. But Jesus says, my house will be a house of prayer for all the nations. The question is, do we want this? maybe the better question is, do we embody this? Maybe, the, maybe even the better question is not do we want this or do we embody this. Do we make space around our table for this? Maybe, maybe that's not even a good enough question. Maybe the actual question is not do we want this, do we embody this, do we invite people around our table. Do we ever hear the Spirit of God saying, go sit with those people? And do we ever just go, ah, What will they think? And what will my friends in the temple think? And what's so beautiful about Philip's? like, I don't care. I just hear the voice of God. I hear the spirits whisper. I want to go sit with them. I want to see someone's life transformed. I want to see them rejoicing. Because I know when God and Christ and the spirit are the center of someone's life, it's unstoppable. It's unstoppable. But it will stretch you. And part of what it means to be a disciple is to love holiness but not create barriers. And to be a light into the world and not just not care about what you believe, it's about holding it all in tension. And bringing that before God. That's what travel does. I know some of you have traveled to different spaces. You get into a different context. You're like, wow, I never saw it that way. That's not the way my parents taught me. Wow, that's a beautiful way to worship. You go to a different experience. You're like, wow, that that actually stretched me. And this is what Acts is going to do. It's going to stretch you to actually go, how much of this temple... how much space will I give to the Holy Spirit or how much will this temple actually look like King Herod's temple where I can now create barriers for people to access the good news that I have with me. And Philip just decimates that. So, here's what I want you to think about. And here's what I want you to think about. Who is the eunuch for you? I'm not going to make you raise hands. I'm not going to say it out loud. And I I just, maybe if you could just look back and if you're up in the cheap seats, maybe just look at that door. And just imagine if like that door opened and whoever the eunuch is just walked in. The kind of church that we will be, will be the kind of person that gets up at our seat and walks to that person. Say, hey, come, come here. You can sit with me. That preacher's terrible. <laughs> I don't, I just come here for the worship and the people. But like we, we, we sit here and just go, what's your name? Yeah, I'm glad you're here. Or, you just be a temple. It's just, I don't need to know Lewis. I don't need to know Asa. Some of you are like, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Don't talk to me. Don't say my name. But like, what you, we have to ask ourselves, because it's either life together as a vision that we will embody and incarnate no matter what. it's just fluff it's just new icing on an old cake and the old cake was a temple and being built around an institution are we going to be a people that are built around the spirit of God and when God whispers and we find ourselves reaching out and loving and just get one thing straight if you live by the spirit and you trust the spirit and you follow the spirit let me tell you two realities you will be somebody's heretic and you will not make everybody happy Welcome to the kingdom of God. But if you have this sense to say good news, and I want to see people get baptized, and I want to see lives change, I want to see people rejoicing, and who knows, with that one Ethiopian eunuch, if Philip wasn't come, we might not have the theology of Augustine, Tertullian, Cyprian. I can go on and on and on from the decades and generations. The wisdom, the theology, I came out of that incredible continent of Africa. But can you take that step of faith? And I'm just asking one step at a time. Holding the tension. I want to be holy and I want to be whole and I want to be healthy and I want to be a good temple and I also want to be a light into the world. I got to hold the tension. I want to be a person of grace. Oh, I want to be a person of truth. I, I, I'm not, not one or the other. I got to hold the tension of both. And I, don't, I gotta leave Jerusalem. I gotta go to Judea. And I gotta go to Samaria. And I gotta go to the ends of the earth. I, I gotta hold the tension. Can you hold the tension? And I'll tell you this: you probably can't by yourself, but you can a lot easier when it's done together. So here's what we're gonna do: is I'm gonna say a little prayer, and then downstairs, it's almost like the one B of this message, where we're gonna chop it up, and I'm gonna give you some stats and facts, Leonard and I, just around how we actually can do this in a way that lives in the tension well, loves our Jesus well, but also loves our neighbor well. So I hope you'll join us. Would you do this? Would you stand? Would you put your hands out for a blessing so Bithya doesn't get mad at me? Would you put your hands out for a blessing? And I'd love to pray these words over you. Sisters of Four City Church. May there be no eunuchs that feel like they don't have access to what you are offering. Grace peace, and baptism, and love, forgiveness of sins, and an opportunity to use their story to further your kingdom. God, I pray that no person based on gender or race would feel like they can't enter these doors or they can't ever serve. But God, I pray that you would just, oh my goodness, that we would be people who would just embody that Phillips way. God, I pray that people who have means or people who don't and everyone in between, I pray that we wouldn't look as someone as more important or less important, but we would see what you are doing in their life. And I pray that wherever they are, filled with debt or filled to the brim and overflowing that they would experience your favor and your love. And God, may we not be temple people, may we be spirit people. May we not be people who are creating barriers, but may we be carriers of your goodness. And bless my friends, keep them, be gracious to them. I pray all this is your name. Amen. Grace and peace.